Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's a Tim Ron Tuesday on a Wednesday, everybody. Hell yeah. Of course, I'm Tim Gates, and I'm joined by Imran, the Don Con, twice in one week. I'm I'm making the big comeback. I like it. It <laughs> feels good. Does it feel right to be at this this table? It 100% does. Like, so my partner, every time I was like, hey, I'm going to be on KFGD today, he's like, oh, do you need me to clear out of the office? I'm like, no, they have a studio now. It's great. She had just completely forgotten, literally asking me three times. I get it, man. I get it. There's <laughs> days I wake up and I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> you know, but it's a beautiful thing, mm. everybody. Of course, this is kind of funny games daily. Each and every weekday, we get together to talk about all of the video game news that you need to know. Of course, we do it live on youtube.com slash kind of funny games and twitch.tv slash kind of funny games. But do not fret, my friend. If you want to watch it later because you can't watch live, you can do just that on YouTube or roosterteeth.com. And if you want to get it as a podcast, just search your favorite podcast service for kind of funny games daily and we'll be right there for you. If you wanted to get the show ad free though, and if you wanted to get a whole bunch of exclusive bonus content, including the hit show, Kind of Feudy, and we recorded quite possibly the best episode of all time yesterday. Is that right, Barrett? It it was something that was uh, it was a wild ride so much so that it was hard for me to keep count of score just of how chaotic it was. Yesterday. Yeah. Hey, some of us might have scored so high that we, we just couldn't even count it. It might have broke the counter. <laughs> Is that true? true? I don't <laughs> I, I don't know if yesterday was the most points gained by somebody, but it was definitely up there. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was. And nobody could tell me different unless you go to patreon.com slash kind of funny and, you know, do the math yourselves. So you should do just that. You know, but enough about all that stuff. Today, we got some big stories. A big February for PlayStation Plus, Power Wash Simulator's Final Fantasy VII expansion. <laughs> what? <laughs> and more, because this is Kind of Funny Games Daily. You already know about all of that stuff. Some housekeeping for you. A new Kind of Funny X-Cast is up right now, breaking down Xbox characters we love the most. Uh, you can find that in all the normal places. A new Kind of Feudy poll is up right now, so if you want to contribute to the answers that we are, are playing with on Kind of Feudy, you can go do that on Blessing. Twitter uh, and a shout out to our Patreon producer Delaney Twining for always supporting this show and making cool stuff happen. Today we're brought to you by Shady Raisin Honey, but I'll tell you all about that later. For now, let's begin with what is and forever will be the Roper Report. It's time for some news. We have seven stories today. A baker's dozen. Story number one Horizon Forbidden West comes to PlayStation Plus Extra in February. Wow. This comes from Owen S. Good at Polygon. Just one year after launch, Guerrilla Games' open-world adventure Horizon Forbidden West will be available to PlayStation Plus Extra and premium subscribers on PS4 and PS5 beginning February 21st. PlayStation announced on Wednesday subscribers at the extra tier and above also get 2017's Resident Evil 7 on PS4 in February. Most likely, these games have been included to spur interest in Horizon Call of the Mountain, as well as an expansion for Horizon Forbidden West coming in April, and Resident Evil 8 for PlayStation VR 2, which launches February 22nd the rest of february's ps plus extra tier games which premium subscribers also have access to are the quarry on ps4 and ps5 
Outriders, Scarlet Nexus, Borderlands 3, all of those are on both. Tekken 7, just on PS4. Uh, Ace Combat 7, Earth Defense Force 5, uh, Oninaki, Lost Sphere, I Am Setsuna, and Forgotten City, all on PlayStation 4. Uh, premium level subscribers get three PS1 classics playable on PS4, PS5. The Legend of Dragoon. All right, a Shuhei Yoshida classic. Uh, Wild Arms 2 and Harvest Moon Back to Nature. The PS4 version of 2005's Destroy All Humans is also available to premium members. What do you think about this, Imran? This is actually a hell of a month. Yeah. Like, so, like, one, obviously, Horizon, big first-party game from last year. That's, like, that's a real good addition. But just going down this list, Quarry, actually really good. Uh, Scarlet Nexus, surprisingly great. Uh, Borderlands 3, good. Tekken 7, Outriders, good. real fun. Time. Outriders, also fun. Earth Defense War 5, a game that I would not say anyone should go out there and pay money for, but if you have access to, hell yeah, that's a fun, like, couple of hours to, like, could be 50 hours if you get really into it. <laughs> like, this is The Forgotten City, also a, a surprisingly good narrative banger. Like, this is... There's more in this month than there is most, like, the last six months they've had this extra tier. And on top of that, the, the PS1 games here, Legend of Dragoon, Wild Arms 2, and Harvest Moon Back to Nature, those are all kind of beloved games. Yeah. They're at least, like, iconic PlayStation titles to, to some extent. So it's cool to see that get uh, fleshed out a little bit more. Always things that were like, oh, it should have been there since day one. But, hey, combine that with the PS4 and 5 games here and Horizon as the headliner, I think that that is... This is one of the best months they've ever had. Pretty much, yeah. Which I kind of wonder, like, so Nintendo has that thing where every September or so, they will start Random doing... announcements. <laughs> yeah, we, get, we have some new Switch Online announcements for you. So I wonder if, like, were there six-month deals for PS Plus, and now they're like, oh, we need to get something out there for people to, like, resubscribe. Because it, it has been fairly lackluster the last however long this thing has existed. I want to say it was last August-ish. Like around there, but I, I think this is them going. Hey, we recognize what people actually want from the service, which is more first-party games and more of a Game Pass competitor-style thing. Mm -hmm. It'll never be fully Game Pass because that's not the market Sony's in. But like a Game Pass competitor-ish, and some some old games people do really like. Like I understand they're never going to put the full list of the games people like. There's they're never going to be put it on time. It'll always be drip feed over yep. months and years but like which legend sucks but makes sense <laughs> yeah but like legend of dragoon that's not a game that's ever going to get re-released so might as well put it on this thing and like let people enjoy that the people who really like legend of dragoon really like legend yeah. of dragoon I, I love how that always comes up as uh what game should be remade and i'm like they're not gonna remake legend of dragoon <laughs> they're just not going to right <laughs> i think to some people that game exists as the thing they wanted Final Fantasy VII to be. I remember playing the demo of it because it was on one of those like uh, official PlayStation Magazine demo discs. Yeah. And it was the first RPG I've ever played in my entire life. And I remember the turn-based and I was like, fuck this. <laughs> like, I was offended at, at what I was experiencing. But that was just me being a dumb little <laughs> seven-year-old or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> I mean, I, so we have in our house a pic our figure of one of the characters from the game. I have never played Legend of Dragoon. Maybe I will go play Legend of Dragoon now. Because, like... There you go. The reason I didn't play it is I saw this game, and I was like, this just looks like it's dropping off Final Fantasy VII, which is clearly a superior option. But there are people who swear, swear by the fact this is a superior game. So 
We'll see. Maybe now I have this PS Plus extra tier. Give might it as well a shot. It. Yeah. <laughs> we'll to, I, I want to hear your, your thoughts on it and where it all, all lands. Uh, going back to the, the big ones, though, uh, Resident Evil 7, I don't think is like that necessarily that big. It's an older game. Yeah. Uh, but adding in the context here of 8 coming out with uh, the VR very soon, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a smart move for Sony to kind of use PlayStation Plus as marketing for its upcoming titles and yeah. the, the um, things it's trying to push and support. I will um, say it's a it's an interesting choice in that the PSVR 2 is not backwards compatible. This kind of calls attention to that in a, in a way. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. like you're giving getting the PS4 version of this game, you can't use the the uh, VR thing with the PSVR two. So you have to download the PS4 four version. Are you are you for reals? Yeah, you can't use. You the, tell me that this this right here that they're offering Resident Evil Seven that has an amazing VR mode, and people aren't going to be able to use it on PSVR two. No. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. Also, if you download the PS5 version, you can't use it either way. You can only use it on the PS4 version. It's right. it's a little silly, and it's it's a consequence of like technology evolving and the way that PSVR two is made. Like I don't blame them for it. I just think it's like okay, if you wanted to avoid this conversation, this is not a good way to avoid that conversation. Yeah, I I am so interested in the PSVR two conversations to come out because every time we talk about PSVR two, the comments end up being so against us, and they're mm. like, you guys just don't fucking get it. And I am racking my brain trying to see what I don't see. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm looking at this. I'm like, this just doesn't seem like it's going to add up to being worth $500 at, in 2023. <laughs> yeah, I imagine price will go down over, over time. I think that the price, the, the MSRP is incredibly aggressive. Not aggressive. Aggressive is not the right word. Incredibly short-sighted. Mm. They, they are probably selling that thing for as much as it actually costs. They're probably not willing to take too much of a loss on it if they are taking a loss already. But they, you need to kind of sneak these things in a little bit. Like, there, there's a VR audience that needs to grow. They are not going to grow at $500. They are going to grow at, like, 300 maybe 200 And I assume at, like, 2025, we will get to that point. But right now, yeah. Like, I have... My company has a game coming out on that thing for launch. I do not own one because I'm like, I, uh, I could figure out better things than the $500 for right now. Yeah. However, if you are getting one, Discronia, good. Uh, but, I, yeah, you're right. I think $500 is very, it's way too much to ask right now. I can see why people would be excited, though, because the technology in that thing is actually really neat. Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited to try it, but that's kind of about it. Like, I would be surprised if I, I'm looking at Horizon. I'm like, that looks beautiful and yeah. like i want to exist in that world in vr for a bit what does a bit mean though like do i actually want to complete that game i don't i feel like that's going to be a real tough sell for a lot of people right, right. like especially with the investments at play and i'm probably going to get to play it without ever having to buy because <laughs> i have access to it and that's where my interest level is at but like i understand there's a lot of people out there that are are more interested i'm just personally struggling to see where the excitement is stemming from when we've already had other high-quality VR machines out there with extremely high-quality experiences. Right. So I, this is actually my wheelhouse specifically because one of the parts of my job is to do audience research into VR stuff. So there is an audience that is clamoring for more high-end VR content and longer VR content. There's people who are like, why is everything a shooting gallery? Why is everything like a 30-minute experience? Mm -hmm. Like, there should be longer games. And there are a couple, but there's also an audience that does not feel comfortable in VR that long. And I think getting that audience to 
plop down 500 bucks for a PSVR 2 or 350 for a Quest 2 or whatever comes next, like, VR is getting more expensive instead of less expensive, and that's, like, part of the reason is the weird transition in technology we're in, but I think also it's, we're trying to play to a, not necessarily a niche, but a part of the audience that does want these longer, hardcore experiences, but I don't know that audience is, like, growth. I don't know yeah. that it's, like, I think there, there's a lot to be said for the smaller experiences as well. And I think PSVR 2 has some of those, like at launch, like Fantavision 2020X and whatever. Like those I are, can't believe we're getting a Fantavision I can't, sequel. It looks great, honestly. It's hilarious. <laughs> but like games like that are playing to that audience, but the price isn't. Yeah. And I think that ultimately is going to be the bigger problem is people will see the stuff like Horizon Call of, or the Call of the Wild or whatever it's called. Call of the Mountain. Call of the Mountain. <laughs> For some reason, I was about to say Breath of the Wild. Uh, Horizon Call of the Mountain. And they're going to go, oh, that looks cool. I don't know that I want to drop $200 on, or not $200, $500 on this right now. Or they might think, that was cool. I don't know that I want to live in this world for 10 hours with a headset on. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's interesting about the 10-hour, like the longer game experiences is I've seen the most success, at least on the PlayStation side of things, be for things like Resident Evil, where it's like, hey, the entire game is playable in or out of VR, and you can switch back and forth as much or little as you want to. I think that is probably a, a very valid, like vertical for them to be pushing for like the more traditional game experiences which is why i think that gran turismo 7 honestly i'm more excited about playing trying gran turismo 7 than i am about trying horizon call of the mountain yeah but that's just because like it's a proven entity and it's going to be real pretty and i get to drive cars fast yeah i think for me the the vr revelatory experience was tetris connected or tet- like tetris effect and i like because that was just a game that it was you could do it in short play sessions, or you could be in there for hours. Mm-hmm. I think that's the the line that we're gonna probably draw for VR here mm-hmm. from here on out. Is the line we're dropping? Yeah, is you want to be in there for as long as you want to be. Like uh, Resident Evil Four is a very good example because Resident Evil Four is not a short game. It is not a game that you do in small chunks, but you could if you wanted to just play from typewriter to typewriter. And I think I there's probably. Like, more research to be done. There's more, like, audience testing to be done and stuff like that. And I'm one of the people who does those things. But it, I don't think there's any one VR or one type of VR audience right now. And I think if we start trying to hew too close to the hardcore, start trying to give, like, only them the VR experiences and only them because they'll spend the money, then we're going to limit what VR can do in the future. Yeah. Really interesting stuff, man. So going back to, to Horizon here. Horizon Forbidden West, a uh, year old you're new depending on how you want to look at it playstation studios title we're getting both the ps4 and ps5 versions here this is hot off the heels of the announcement that the playstation plus collection is going away uh which i think was the closest thing to this type of like yo you're actually getting the the big titles that you would quote unquote expect to get yeah. following like the xbox game pass model or something you got bloodborne that's like all you really need <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then but also god of war and last <laughs> of us and like all of the the iconic titles from the um ps4 era do you think that this is going to become a trend or is it just timing because there's the Horizon VR and the DLC coming out soon? Like, do you expect that we'll get Ragnarok on PS Plus in November? Mm, I feel like this is them dipping their toes in the water. I, they know people want them to have a Game Pass competitor. They're never going to do it because that's not the business they're in. They, they need to spend, like, they, they need to put a bunch of resources into first-party software that will then sell... 12 through 20 million copies. They're, this process of 
let's wait a year, then put it on PC and then uh, PS Plus and like all that stuff. I think that makes them more comfortable. I think it's easier to do this for Horizon. Not, I want to be very clear here, very clear. I'm not saying Horizon is a bad game, but for Sony, critical acclaim matters a lot for what they think of a game internally. And Forbidden West was a little less talked about than uh, God of War Ragnarok. By a little less, I mean pretty significantly. Because, like, it was part of the game of year discussion, but not nearly as much as any of the other games of the year uh, nominees. But, like, I think this is an easy get for them to say, yeah, let's put this out. Let's, let's sell, like, raise some interest in Call of the uh, Mountain. Yeah. And <laughs> Forbidden West, Call of the Mountain, The Frozen Wilds. Yes. Like, Jesus, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it, it does that. It does, like, like Bear just mentioned, Burning Shores is coming at some point that they can immediately just uh, sell the DLC for that. Yeah. Because they're never going to sell the game. Or and it also lets them cut out uh, the idea of expected price cuts, too. Of like, yeah, you may not be getting a price cut, but maybe stay subscribed to PS Plus so you can play these games or they might be coming to that. Has Forbidden West been announced for PC? Doesn't not look yet. like it. No. It will That's at it. some point. Yeah, that is interesting, though, that like to, I would have assumed that the PC version would have came out before a PS Plus version. Yeah. Or a free, you know, it being offered on PS Plus. They really want people to buy PS5s. That is their, their entire that, internal no, marketing That's actually strategy. really, yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? But no, jokes aside, that actually makes a lot of sense with everything we've been hearing about the supply being readily available for the first time since the PS5's launch. Yeah. And at this point, that's not a new thing. It's been at least for a couple months. Um, I've just randomly happened to see them at targets when i've just been shopping and i was like whoa it's like always a fun surprise thing it's always funny too because i'm like i have no need for this i don't know anyone that has a need yes. for this everyone i know that wants one has one but i'm still really excited to see it here yeah i saw a thing like a tweet today that was like ps5 is readily available at amazon without like a pre-order or reservation or whatever i'm like i kind of want to Get one, but that doesn't make any sense. That's all. Just, <laughs> but uh, th I think it does make sense then that for them to try to push some of their more premium experiences to um, really incentivize almost like a, a soft relaunch of yeah. the PS5 of like, let's get those numbers up. Do you think that, uh, and this is almost a rhetorical question, but like, do you think that the PS5 is going to see like, a significant jump in units sold? The next time we hear the financial uh, results? Significant, I'm not sure, but they will probably like. I say they could probably catch up the PS4 numbers for sure. Like that they they've steadily been increasing supply for the last two quarters and the numbers have gone up. Like it's gotten based in revenue, not units sold, but based in revenue, they've gotten uh, up at the top of the NPD. So they are doing much better. I think like also stuff like this that does put this on PS Plus does say, hey, if you bought a if you bought a PS5 for Christmas and you didn't subscribe for PS Plus. Hey, here's a reason to. You could now just get a game that was like a year old on there. If you didn't subscribe to PS Plus, here's a reason to subscribe to that. Like now you can play, like you don't need to for Fortnite or Warzone, I believe. But if you are just like, if you do want to subscribe to PS Plus for reasons other than online gaming, this is actually a banger month to do so. Yeah, totally. Now I want to get a question here from Lucid Dream. We already addressed some of this, but there's uh, particulars I want to get into. With the arrival of Horizon Forbidden West on PS Plus Extra next week, would it be safe to assume Sony will add future first-party titles to the service 12 months after initial release? Do we think we'll get Ragnarok this fall? As a counterpoint, they do seem selective with the titles, like Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart, Last of Us Part 2, and Marvel Spider-Man are not available. What do you think goes into the decision to release a first-party title on the Extra tier? So... 
looking at things like Ratchet and Clank and Spider-Man and Last of Us, do you think maybe it's a Naughty Dog and Insomniac like influence thing? Or is it just a timing thing where Ratchet would have been there had that game come out now? Yeah, I think, I think timing probably matters. I think they do want to probably protect Naughty Dog Prestige. Like, you don't want to just give those games away for free because they are so proud of them as, like, uh, award-winning blockbuster games. I can see stuff like Ghost of Tsushima, if that's not been already. Like, the, the PS5 stuff, like, that makes sense. Uh, Death Stranding, things like that. Things that, like, they're not necessarily invested in protecting as uh, important key... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not blockbuster. It's prestige. Yeah, yeah prestige yeah, yeah, games. yeah. 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 Do you think that we see um, Spider-Man leading into Spider-Man 2? I think that would make sense. I think Miles Morales is maybe the better pick because that is a cheaper game. Uh, maybe both, honestly. I, honestly, I wouldn't do it for Spider-Man 2. I, well, I guess both are coming around at the same time. It's Spider-Verse. Yeah. Like, putting those ga- like having just a general Spider-Man synergy towards the end of the year would make a lot of sense for Sony. Yeah. Could totally make sense. Uh, let's move on to story number two. Power Wash Simulator's Final Fantasy VII pack lets you clean up Midgar. This comes from Nicole Carpenter at Polygon. Uh, Power Wash Simulator is getting a Final Fantasy VII DLC pack. It, what? <laughs> I love when there's weird-ass collabs here. Uh, it is called the Midgar Special Pack. It includes five jobs across the iconic fantasy city. The Midgar Special Pack will be released for free on March 2nd on Nintendo Switch, PS4, PS5, Windows PC, Xbox One, and Series X. It's not just cleaning either. Developer Future Lab said in a blog post that like the original Power Wash Simulator, there's a story to uncover in each job. Of course, there's no judgment in Power Wash Simulator, so players will take on jobs from Avalanche and Shinra, cleaning up messes made from Don Cornero's lackeys, Professor Hojo's specimens, and Heidegger's dangerous tech, Future said. There are are the lo- locations that desperately need an expert power washer's help. Oh, here they are. The Hardy Daytona and Shinra Hauler, the Scorpion Sentinel, 7th Heaven, the Mako Energy Exhibit, and the Airbuster. Fuck yeah! Yeah! Like, <laughs> I saw this last week, and I'm like, fuck, I'm gonna buy Power Wash Simulator, I guess, because, like, this set, this is not only, like, a little stupid, but, like, fun. It's yeah. a fun, stupid idea. I love that Power Wash Simulator has become the success that it is. Like simulator yeah. games are, you know, at this point there's there's a simulation for everything and uh, as the out today will tell you some weeks there are things where like we don't need to simulate that <laughs> even as a joke. Um but there's always the like the standouts and I feel like looking back to um even on the VR side things like job simulator and and uh, the sort. Uh but going back to goat simulator and like how much of a, a moment that was when it first dropped. Uh and here we are with Power Wash Simulator which just is a beloved game. Like anyone that gives it a shot is like, Oh, this, there's something here. And for them to take that foundation and be like, let's have fun with this for the the core gamers out there. And like, really just do the thing. Let's commit and like, make this an event that people are going to want to check out. Good for them. This is rad. Have you ever seen the subreddit? uh, Oddly satisfying. Yes. That is what power wash simulator is. It is. So people who don't know that subreddit is, like things that like look nice being cleaned or like a perfect scoop of an ice cream or something like that. Or like like uh, the, the film getting pulled off of a new phone or yes. like just that's those moments that just feel good. Yeah. And like that, that is that game is mm-hmm. it's cool to watch a, a backyard be cleaned like with a power washer. Like, and I, I genuinely like the idea of 
cleaning the, the scorpion. Because someone has to do that. In theory, that thing is clean. There's some Shinra soldier like going through and cleaning the... Why the can't it be you? You know? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think this is going to be important to play before Final Fantasy VII Rebirth comes out this, uh, I would this winter? Lo- I would love that. I would love if like... You're cleaning the Mako energy exhibit and Zach's just there or something. Like, <laughs> Yeah, dude. I mean, they're saying there's story bits involved. I, I'm a little more concerned about cleaning up uh, Don Cornelio's little area. Yeah, that, that, you know? that I don't know what you want to clean up there. I, you're going to need some extra strong power <laughs> washing there. But um, just the idea of power washing with mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VII music playing. Yes. That's really kind of all I need. I've been playing uh, Theater Rhythm, the final bar level. Oh, okay. I kind of got choked up playing the FO7 series. I love like, that. It's like, oh, Eris theme is actually really, really beautiful. fucking good. It's beautiful. Like, I, and I know this intellectually, just like, oh, and I'm still... It's the th- same thing that happened when I was playing Remake of, oh, I, I guess I really do just love this game. Yeah. And I just didn't remember that. Speaking of uh, Final Fantasy VII, because I have you and I always want to, <laughs> Rebirth. Yes. When do we actually get it? Because they told us Crisis Core, whatever the fuck it was, remastered, yeah. Angels Fall shit, was going to be win- winter. And then Rebirth next winter. Yes. They did the first one in December. <laughs> the early side of winter. They didn't name a ye- year. They just said next winter. So, like, I, I think they gave themselves room for an assumption of delay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they will put FF16 in FF7 Rebirth too close to each other. Yeah. If they can put six months between them, they probably will. But I mean, they, that's going to happen, right? We have the release date for 16, 16 is July. Ju- June? June or July? June. I probably. thought it was June. Probably June. They're Everything's not, coming out in June. <laughs> like, earliest that Fallen Messi could come out would be December. If they're going to do this year, yeah. But I think that that is unlikely. Yeah. Like, I think that it's more likely to be March next year. I can see January. They released Forspoken this, this January. Did that usually, work, though, for them? <laughs> I know it's different, but... So the problem is, usually they release, like, Square Enix specifically releases just a fucking stinker of a turd every January. Like, the, <laughs> Don't put this one out then! <laughs> the Quiet Man, uh, Babylon's Fall, Balin Wonderworld. No! Like, they, they usually <laughs> just, like, early in the year, here's our first quarter dump, whatever. And, like... If Forspoken is the worst game of the year, then like, <laughs> then like, we're, it's gonna be a pretty good year. But like, I I could see them doing. We want to reverse this, and we want to put like a major game out in January. That's just me being hopeful because I really fucking want to play Rebirth. Yeah. But like, I I could see March. I could also see them just push it to April for the next financial year. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, God, I can't believe we're this close to sixteen either. Yeah. Woo. Sixteen is a matter of months away. Yeah. We will be playing that game. I guess before Summer Games Fest in E3. Oh my God! And Tears of the Kingdom. And Tears of the Kingdom right after Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the Kingdom is itself a week after Jedi Survivor. Mm, oh my God! Yeah. yeah. And then before that, we have Resident Evil Four. Oh God, that's in like a month. That's in like a couple of weeks. Holy shit! <sighs> I don't even review games professionally anymore. <laughs> I'm still like, oh God. It's just a lot. Yeah. It's just a lot. Um, you know what else is a lot? Your support on patreon.com slash kind of funny. We appreciate it a lot. So if you were to go over there, you don't get ads. But for everyone else, here they are. 
Shout out to Shady Rays for sponsoring this episode. Look how cool I look. You too can look this cool. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and so much more. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. They'll also provide 10 meals to fight hunger in America with every order and have donated over 20 million meals to date. That's fantastic. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back exclusively for y'all listeners and watchers right now. Shady Rays has given out their best deal of the new year. You can go to ShadyRays.com and use code KINDAFUNNY for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself. These are five star rated by over 200,000 people. Again, that's shadyrays.com use the code kinda funny shout out to honey for sponsoring this episode honey is the easy way to save when shopping on your iphone or computer and thanks to honey manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past and we all know there's nothing better than the feeling of saving money honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart when you check out the honey button appears and all you have to do is click apply coupons you wait a few seconds you see the fun little dancing guy honey searches for coupons and it finds you the best ones and then you just watch the prices drop we here at kind of funny have been using honey for years and it's helped us save thousands on tech costumes food you name it honestly i just love how easy it is to just set and forget and save that's the best part honey doesn't just work on desktops it works on your phone too you just activate it on safari on your phone you save on the go if you don't already have honey you could be straight up missing out you can get paypal honey for free at joinhoney.com slash kind of funny that's joinhoney.com slash kind of funny this episode is brought to you by shopify Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Story number three, Multiverse's daily peak Steam player count has dropped more than 99% since launch. This comes from Chris Scullion at VGC. Multiverses has seen a drastic decrease in the number of daily players that have seen its peak player count on Steam drop more than 99% since launch. The game enjoyed an extremely successful launch with a peak of more than 143k players on Steam on day one, rising up to over 153k the following day. Uh, a month after its launch, Warner Brothers stated that over 20 million players had already downloaded and played the game, suggesting 
suggesting a strong player base on which to build. Since then, however, the daily peak player count has been steadily dropping to the extent that this week it dipped below 1,000 for the first time, according to SteamDB, hitting a peak of 986 on Monday. This marks a drop in daily peak player count of 99.3574% in less than seven months. Good for you for staying honest there. Um, Part of the reason for the drop in players may be a tepid response to the game's Season 2 content, which players have been regularly complaining about on social media. Uh, Can you believe it? I can't. No, that never Uh, happens. The game's first season saw a release of five new characters, Rick, Morty, Gizmo, Stripe, and Black Adam. However, since season two started on November 15th, just one character, Marvin the Martian, has been released, Whoa. and that was nearly three months ago. Cool, cool G must be cool stoked. Greg, yeah, he loves Marvin. And also, like, what does it say about Black Adam, though? Whenever he uh, shows up in something, he kills whatever he shows up in, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't the know, The hierarchy man. of power definitely changed. <laughs> it's changing left and right. Season three was supposed to start yesterday, but developer Player First Games delayed it to March 31st, giving the reason that it wanted to give players more time to complete their season two battle pass. This was met with widespread condemnation by players who had hoped the arrival of Season 3 would finally bring some new faces to the game. Criticism's also been leveled at the game's monetization system, which locks off many of its character skins to premium currency, with some costing up to the equivalent of $15. It's not clear if Multiverse's player drop is quite so severe on consoles, but True Achievements, which runs its own Xbox gameplay chart taken by analyzing a pool of over 2 million Xbox player accounts, says the game's active player accounts dropped to around 4% of what it was was at launch and is now well outside the top 100 games played on xbox this is kind of the the story we hear everywhere like it's not it's not just about multiverses but i think a lot of people they go into that initial thing for a game as a service to go hey this looks cool but they don't have time to stick with it they don't have time to like add it to their fortnites and their war zones and whatever like they they play a little bit go i'll come back to this later and then it leaves their mind and I, they were very, they, uh, the developers were very optimistic about how many characters they could get out at once. The season one, very, they probably had a lot of that shit ready. Then season two comes around and like, you can't make a character a month. Like, that's not feasible. It's not possible. But that's what the audience But it's expect. expected. Yeah. And it's expected for a reason. It's yeah. expected because they kind of created a game and a, a, a foundation, the architecture of that game makes you think that that's what you're going to get. You know, yeah. and I think that this is something that, like, I'm, I'm sad that we're still struggling to be able to figure out the right way to do this type of thing. Like I remember um, dating back to even like 2013 talking about things like Madden or street fighter. And like, when is it just going to be a platform? Like, why do we need street fighter ultra edition or turbo edition or like X, Y, Z? Why don't they just have a street fighter as a platform? Why don't they just make Madden a platform and every year have roster updates and stuff. And then Street Fighter tried that. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, it tried it in the wrong way <laughs> by it being like ex- console exclusive, and like that's not a great thing to do for a more niche genre like fighting games that need a vibrant community of um, both experts and newcomers to enjoy playing and watching and like just the entire thing about yeah. fighting games. Um, but when you look at, at the more party fighting games, things like Smash Multiverses that I think are even more accessible than like way more accessible than something like a street fighter or a guilty gear or something like that. Um, You kind of got to deliver the goods that people are looking for and expecting what they're looking for expecting is a balanced experience and a lot of cool, fun, new shit constantly. And if you're going to say, Hey, we're going to give you a lot of cool shit constantly. You really got to do that or else just put out one game, 
and put out some DLC packs, and then people are going to be looking forward to those DLC packs. They're not going to be like upset that they're not getting monthly, weekly, daily updates to things. So the problem with games as a service right now, and this is what's happening to a lot of them, like Knockout City and stuff like that. Knockout City devs were very candid about this is what happened. It's a very hard to know how to scale for these things. Like, you have to pretty much assume immediately you're going to be a big deal, and if you were not a big deal, you just wasted a ton of money, like, right out the gate. Because you have to be... It's not the day one problem that you need to worry about. It's not the, what do we have for... Which you do need to worry about that, honestly. But the day two problem of, okay, what's next? What happens after we do our initial glut of content? Like, what is the... What is after Marvin the Martian? And the answer has to be like, okay, well, we now need to put, like, Scooby-Doo in. We need to put it, like, I got a press release that was the rock skin available for Black Adam. And I don't know who that's for. Like, besides it's, the rock. Yeah, it's for, <laughs> <the> rock. <laughs> it's for Dwayne. Right? Like, Here you go, DJ. <laughs> like, are people, are people going like, oh, I, now that the rock Black Adam is in there, I'm... Finally going to boot up multiverses again. Like, no, people played it, and they enjoyed it, and then it left their mind. And I think part of the problem, especially with games like multiverses, is you start out with everyone else on the same level. That we're all buying new characters, we're all, like, roughly the same equivalent, or, like, equivalent skill level. But the as you start playing more and more and get better, you're not fighting kids playing as Bugs Bunny, you're fighting the people who are, like, really good at that game. And it's not fun anymore. Like, yeah. that's, that's a, a kind of superficial way to look at it, but that's why I stopped playing, is I stopped winning. And it, in theory, I should be motivated to just get better and play more and do all that, but I could also just drop the game and not really care about it. Do you think, and this is, uh, it has its major sets of cons itself, but do you think that we might shift to a marketing for games as a service that have an end time? like an endpoint where they're like, hey, we're going to release this game and we're going to support it for a year. And every month of that year, in 2024, from January to December, there's going to be a major update. And we're this is an experience that we're all going to be in together, kind of the way that like TV works, where it's like you got these episodes in a season and everyone's having these big zeitgeist moments every Sunday night after uh, Last of Us or Game of Thrones or whatever. I feel like that could be a great way to actually deliver the stuff without feeling the need to stretch things out for too long the problem there is what happens after that time so yeah but is that just do they move on to another project and like that was the goal that was the type of experience they were building because let's be honest like if a game goes on too long sure there's always gonna be a player base but we can see it dwindling here yeah. so it's like just being able to play a game endlessly is ideal but I don't think sustainable or possible. And clearly this system's not working. So maybe adding a, a different perspective and more dialed in like, hey, this is a living game, but the living always die. <laughs> I think <Jesus. laughs> I think from a marketing perspective, that probably wouldn't work because people want to assume it's always going to be endless. They want to assume this game they're like picking up is just going to be like the going to last forever they're going to play it every night with their friends like this game has the same shelf life as poker like that you could just get up get together and just start playing it no matter what like you i probably wouldn't and most people i think probably wouldn't start buying skins or monetization stuff for a game if i knew it was going to end one day regardless of how far away that game is regardless of how fun the thing i'm doing is like actually how fun is actually making the game i i probably like let's say Nintendo says all copies of Smash Brothers Ultimate are going to explode next year. However, 
we're adding every dream character you could possibly want in that year. Even though I would probably only play buy those characters and play them for like a weekend, I would still be like, I'm not going to buy this. This isn't going to last. Like it's going to eventually go away. And I think one of the reasons like games like Fortnite and like Apex succeed is because they're backed by big companies that people have general faith in that they're not just going to drop the game and just go, all right, we're done. Where they are supporting them in some way that we know is not going to be forever because nothing is forever. As you said, everything dies. But if it dies, it'll be like a cataclysmic event, not a like, eh, we just didn't feel like doing it anymore. Yeah, I, I'm interested. I really think that, like, I think you're right overall, and I don't think that what I'm saying can apply to every single game. I mean, definitely can't, but I don't even think it can apply to games as a service as a whole. But clearly something's not working, so something yeah. has to change. But while I agree with you that, like, people want to think things are going to go on forever, I think when you look at the MCU right now and, like, seeing a lot of people's uh, takes on it overall, even people that are major, major fans, um, a lot of them aren't as high as they were on the ride to Endgame. And I feel like knowing that Thanos is has the gauntlet and he's getting the stones and this is all going to lead to an end, I feel like created such a moment that video games could do too. If we were essentially promised an end game, <laughs> you know, and we know that everything we're doing is working towards that. I think that there is a value to that experience and that the, um, that everyone is doing the same thing at the same time and we're all equally excited about knowing that there's this end point that it's all going to actually culminate in something. That, that, that would be extremely exciting. But what me. you're describing is episodic gaming, which like kind of died for a reason. That's true, but I feel like if they... The, the difference between this and episodic gaming is like the idea that they are trying to make it a shared multiplayer experience. Like mm -hmm. that, it, The assumption for me with games as a service is that there's a multiplayer side to it. You're right. doing the experience with friends, which is part of like creating that zeitgeist, the water cooler moment of instead of with TV, you watch TV and then the next day you talk about it with people. This is you're actively talking about it with them because you're experiencing it with them because of the joys of online gaming. I think kind of Destiny, ha it doesn't have the... Well, it does have a time limit because, like, they vault stuff. So, like, I think Destiny's kind of getting that same thing of, like, here's the major expansion, here's the weekly raid, like, or here's the, the big raid that, like, lasts 48 hours. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that is kind of the prestige TV equivalent. Of yeah, that, is, that definitely is probably the closest thing to it. But even that, it's, like, it's endless, it feels. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, the, that end is just a end, not the end. People only like getting into things where they feel like they're getting a deal on it. Mm -hmm. And they think, like... Limitless content that already like there's so much of it for them and it will never end is a deal, mm -hmm. which in reality is also just unsustainable. Yeah. Well, it's interesting stuff. Story number four: Atomic Heart composer Mick Gordon's donating his fee in support of Ukraine. This comes from Luke Riley at IGN. Award-winning video game music composer Mick Gordon has noted he will be donating his fee for his work on Atomic Heart to charity in support of Ukrainian civilians suffering suffering amid the 2022 Russian invasion. The Australian-based musician has donated his fee to the uh, Australian Red Cross Ukraine crisis appeal, explaining the Red Cross has been a vital resource for those affected by the conflict, providing aid, medical care, and psychosocial support. Gordon explains he was contacted by Atomic Heart developer Mundfish Studio in April 2020, just under two years before the February 2022 Russian invasion. Uh, Mundfish was founded in Moscow in 2017, but appears to have recently relocated its headquarters to Cyprus. Its official site describes a dis 
distributed development team of 130 people across 10 countries, one of which is not named. The game's unique aesthetic, combined with my musician's love for Soviet-era synthesizers, provided an exciting creative opportunity. I was thrilled to be involved, and I'm grateful that the team saw fit to bring me on board. I'm eager to see and hear my musical contributions come to life in the final game when Atomic Heart releases later this year. Gordon also noted that working with Munfish has been an absolute delight. Cool. I think that's a that's a good way to to give money to a good cause and also kind of cut off any of the criticism that might be coming his way about Munfish being a Russian studio. I've looked into some of this. I've looked into like not extensively, but at, like the links people have between Munfish and supporting the Russian government are tenuous at best. But I, there are people who are drawing a lot of lines between, oh, supporting this game supports the war, or the war in Ukraine, or the war against Ukraine. And I don't think it's that direct. I don't think like you're, like I don't think supporting this game is going to like really fund the Russian military in any way. But I do understand people who are uncomfortable with it, and I think if you're uncomfortable with it, fine. Hundred like, yeah. percent. But everyone gets to make their own calls. And Mick Gordon is making his call. And of, he's making a call. Yeah. With with his he's he's speaking with his wallet, speaking with his work, you know. Um, I I think that he's handling this in a, a very respectable way that makes a lot of sense for him from everything we've heard about him in the yeah. last couple of years specifically. Uh, so this makes this makes sense. Also, um, he's not Russian, so he can say, "Hey, I want to support Ukraine and not die." Yeah, <laughs> another very <laughs> very, very important. important point. Uh, story number five: Game Freak says it's very important to continue making non Pokemon games. This comes from Chris Scullion at VGC. Game Freak will continue to make games that have nothing to do with Pokemon, one of the studio's directors has said. Last month, the studio released Pocket Card Jockey Ride On, a remake of its cult favorite 3DS horse racing slash solitaire mashup. <laughs> Exclusively on Great. Apple Arcade. Speaking to Axios, Ride On's director, Masao Tias, stressed that the studio was committed to making more non-Pokemon games. We believe that it's very important for the studio to continue making releasing titles outside of the Pokemon series, uh, Tias said. In the recent years, the resources needed for game development have grown and grown, so Development Department 1 has been trying out a style of development where it works on, with external studios. A decade ago, Game Freak set up an internal initiative called Gear Project in which developers could pitch original game ideas during quieter periods when Pokemon development isn't as intense. Although the developer is best known for the Pokemon series, it has released a number of smaller, unrelated games in the past, such as Harmonite, Tembo the Badass Elephant, and Giga Wrecker. Um, I haven't enjoyed any of Game Freak's games that are you not Pokemon, played, but I have not played this one. You should play this one. Yeah? This game is, like, shockingly addictive. Hmm. Like, okay. I, I loved it on 3DS. I've not played the iOS version. I assume it's roughly the same. But on 3DS, it was like a hell of a game. Mm. Maybe better than any Pokemon game I've played. Wow. In just terms of, like, straight design. Uh, I think it's... I think this statement about, like, yeah, it's hard to make games now because of resources feels like, please don't yell at us about Pokemon. It's very hard to make video games. Yeah. But to me, then, it's like, well, then, then just... Fix the ship before you do other things. Yes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I imagine they're different teams, but like Game Freak is also historically very small. Yeah. They need to expand. And but what they're saying about working with external studios, yeah, that needs to happen too. That needs to happen on a timeline that is like relatively uh healthy for every studio involved. Of course it's Pokemon, it's too big a ship, so you, that's never gonna happen. So I can see like the reasoning here of thank God we can work on something that is not dictated by a schedule by seven different companies. Yeah. Which includes Game Freak. They're not like innocent in that. Yeah. But 
they can, they can make a game that just comes out when it when it's done, as opposed to needs to come out along with an anime and plushes and all that other jazz. Yeah, interesting stuff. I mean, horse races, man. Horse, horse races. race solitaire. Uh, story number six: God of War Ragnarok devs didn't realize that allies spoiling puzzles would annoy players. This comes from Ryan Dinsdale at IGN. Uh, God of War Ragnarok developers Sony Santa Monica Studio didn't realize that allies spoiling in-game puzzles would be annoying for players wanting to solve everything themselves. As reported by Games Radar, Ragnarok's narrative director Matt Sophos and story lead Richard uh, Grabert told MinMax that the feature, which fans vo- voiced as a point of frustration, was an oversight of the development team. It didn't get exposed to us really until after the game came out because even when it had playtests, we never saw feedback about the characters talking too much or spoiling things too quickly. Uh, the timing for the first hint was too aggressive and should have had a much longer countdown timer before something comes up. It wasn't until the game came out and I was like, well, shit, if we'd known that, we would have responded. Uh, it's not going to happen again. Despite the frustration expressed by players, the developers didn't say whether or not a patch would be released that addressed the hint system, either by slowing it down or providing an option to turn it off completely. Yeah, I- there's times where they talk too much and times where they just like I was wandering on a puzzle and didn't see like the thing that they wanted me to see and just didn't talk at all. And there's times where like they talk too much during battle because like I, I by the end of the game I got really sick of a mirror telling me I'm I'm on fire. Like it's I'm surprised that they got no feedback on it. I'm surprised that this is the thing in game development where you are working on something so long you just don't see the forest for the trees or you don't see the individual trees. Honestly, yeah, like you. You have to have been like so close to this project to not know how much they were talking because it's a lot. And I love God of War Ragnarok. I 100% of that game for reasons I don't entirely understand. But like that was a huge problem that I, I'm really surprised they had no, no one in QA or something sending some note about it. It was not a problem for me at all. <laughs> and when everyone was talking about this, I remember seeing on Twitter, and I was just like, oh my Lord, we will complain about Anything. Really? I and, but again, it's like, look, that's my opinion, and clearly, other people think that I'm wrong about that. But like also, a lot of people. So, I at the end of the day, I think that this is great. That th- this is a really honest response to, hey, we didn't get this feedback. Now we did. Yeah. Cool. We're gonna uh, address it. I think that, that this is best case scenario overall. I, I think it varies from person to person. Because yeah. like, it also probably varies depending on how you like doing a puzzle. Like, if you happen to get through all the puzzles that. Uh, they would have told you the, the solution to fast, you probably never heard it. Or it didn't bother you in that case. I think for, for me, it was like, okay, I know what to do. I just need to go do it. And they're already telling me the solution. Yeah. Or I don't know what to do. I literally just walked in the room. It's like, hey, look at that thing over there. I'm like, come on, guys. Yeah. Horizon's much worse about it. But yeah, and I guess for me, like the, the difference is I like the characters talking in God of War Ragnarok and figuring out like the puzzles in Ragnarok and, and the puzzles in God of War aren't like these crazy sophisticated things that when I figure them out, I'm like, yeah, yeah I did something cool. It's more like, oh, here's this puzzle room. I need to actively do things to make it all happen. Doing the thing is what's fun and rewarding to me. So that's why I just, I'm on that side of it. So everyone was like really upset about it, which I, again, they clearly look at it and like, yeah. oh, we, we see what you're saying. So yeah. it's like, there is something there. And I think that even the idea of it even just being like a slider, being able to be optional of how much, people are giving you hints or not. Because even in, in Ragnarok, like there are extra things you can add in the options to make it an even more streamlined um, experience of like, there's the option of like hitting R3 and it like just directs you where you're, you're trying to go. Yeah. Um, and it's like, that's, you can turn that on or off. And I don't think it's on by default. Yeah. That should be the, the way the puzzles work is like, press triangle for a hint. 
They've, they've done that before in Uncharted and stuff like that. It should have been the thing here. I can get why they think it's a little too video gamey, but it's easier than like... I think the one that annoyed me the most was I knew what to do, but I accidentally mis-aimed throwing the axe at something. They're like, no, no, it's not that one. It's that thing over there. It's like, yeah, I know. Like, it's that thing of, I'm already annoyed. You are annoying me more by giving me directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally get it. Uh, story number seven. Saudi Arabia reportedly increases Nintendo stake for second time in a month. Uh, this is from Tom Phillips at Eurogamer. Uh, the financial scheme founded by... Con- the country's highly controversial ruling Prince Mohammed bin Salam, uh, Salman? Salman. Salman. Uh, now owns uh, 7.08% of Nintendo, up from 6.07% in January, trading view revealed today. The PIF was previously known to have required a over 5% stake in the company as of May 2021. The quick edition of more highlights the fund's growing stake in Nintendo and many other video game companies gathering pace. Last year, Nintendo told news agency routers it had learned of the PIF's initial stake from news reports and declined to comment further. The company's made no further statement since the PIF's continued investment. Here we fucking go. It's just continuing, man. Yeah, and they are slowly buying up a lot of the Japanese game industry. I think people realize to what extent, like, uh, they, they fully own SNK. Like, straight up, the public investment fund owns that company to the point where they do make creative decisions about games. Uh, they own a decent part of Capcom. They now own a fairly, like, 7% is not majority or anything, but it's, like, significant part of Nintendo. They, part of it is that, like, the, the Crown Prince does have an interest in video games, so he wants to use the country's money to, like, what he, what he says are investments, but, like, honestly make choices and make cre- decisions about video games. It like on its own on its face if it were just like oh a country's investing in video game companies like that's weird i don't necessarily like that then it's a guy who like actively kills journalists that's a thing that we should be worried about like that is a problem because that means your money does go back in these things the public investment fund does on its like the mission statement of that thing is to bring money back into saudi arabia so this is I'm not saying this is like boycott worthy at this point, but it is a thing that's sort of like it is something worth worrying about and worth being aware of because if it does become a majority share, that does become an issue. And that said, like, I don't know, I'm probably still gonna play Metal Slug Tactics, like, but I don't feel great about it. Yeah, I mean that, yeah. not feeling great about it, I think, is a, a starting point at this at- point in time for pretty much enjoying anything uh nathan writes in and says hey tim and imran the crown prince of saudi arabia is apparently continuing to acquire larger investment stakes in nintendo but to the best of your knowledge are companies allowed to refuse stock sales to entities chaired by people who seem morally questionable at best no uh, I had no idea that the country's uh, public investment fund also now owns SNK, uh, and it makes me worry that in the future, some games I may want to play will inevitably end up supporting a country infamous for human rights abuses. Is there anything anyone can do at this point? I don't want to reach a place where supporting Nintendo is then equivalent with supporting bad actors as well. Uh, um, I don't think it's getting away from it, if yeah. I'm being honest. Yeah, Nintendo owns... So what Nintendo could do is they could buy the stock back from Saudi Arabia or buy the remaining public stock that they do not own. They own 51% of their stock, I'm pretty sure. So there's never any concern that Saudi Arabia is ever going to have a controlling interest in Nintendo. Uh, they will probably be making money back, as Nintendo does. Like, but that would be true if they own 1% or 50%. Like, it's, it's nothing, there's nothing you can do 
besides make your public opinion known that this is not a thing you like. There's nothing Nintendo can do about it because they can't legally refuse uh, companies unless there's like a like trade embargo reason. Like they could, in theory, refuse Russian ownership at the moment because of uh, the situation yeah. globally. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think they can refuse Saudi Arabian uh, or companies that are in otherwise good standing or investment firms that are in otherwise good standing. William Ron, if being able being able to play a video game, <laughs> what a hell of a transition! <laughs> <laughs> with a with a good clean conscience, just seems so far away. <laughs> if I want to know what's coming to Mom and Grouch shops today, where would I look? The official list of upcoming software across each and every platform, as listed by the Kind of Funny Game Daily Show host each and every weekday. I'm so tired. Out today, Returnal on PC. Um, which I think they're playing on the stream after this. That's pretty cool. No. no? Today is Warzone Season 2 day. Ooh, Warzone Season 2. Everyone get excited. Uh, City Skylines remastered on PS5, Xbox Series X. Iki Unite on PC. Pharaoh, A New Era on PC. Corpse Keeper, don't like that. Uh, early Access on PC. And Plan B Terraform, Early Access on PC. Is the Corpse Keeper the one that you were like, we don't need simulations of everything? Uh, no, no, I imagine that that's not a simulator. I don't know what that is, but there's just like a lot of prison simulators that have been going out, like talking uh, about, there's some weird, oh, this course keeper. Okay. Oh, it's a fighting game. It's like a yeah. killer instinct, like kind of, uh, this looks kind of cool. <laughs> it, it looks like a fake video game you would see in law and order. Yeah. It's, it has an interesting vibe to it. It has like <laughs> a, uh, like a. PlayStation, like almost 3DO yes. look to it. There we go. New dates for you. The Rex coming March 14th, the PlayStation Switch and PC. Uh, Stray Blade uh, launches on April 20th on everything. Splatoon 3 DLC Wave 1. Inkopolis releases on February 28th. Uh, then we got... Let's go to You're Wrong. See what we got wrong today. I'm going to assume nothing because we're perfect uh rod says you said spider-man's not on ps plus but both spider-man and miles morales are on ps plus oh well shit there you go um let's see who is this canon from reddit the homie says tim got 240 points on kind of feudy yesterday which is tied for his highest ever score he also scored 240 uh in december but he didn't win because greg got 250 the highest score 2023 so far is andy with 250 uh and the highest score ever was greg getting 300 on june 29th yeah i was gonna say i I felt like someone hit 300 but i didn't i didn't want to come off as a dummy (laughs) misremembering something Blessing's going to make that thing way harder. If, if Greg is getting 300 points. You know, Imran, sometimes it's not about hard. It's just, it's, <laughs> have you done it's kind of beauty? Getting yes. Into the mindset. It's infuriating. <laughs> it's freaking infuriating, but it's also some of the best content we ever made. Go to patreon.com slash kind of funny and get that shit. Um, this week's host, tomorrow, we got Bless and me. And Friday, Bless and Michael Hyam. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, they're going to be talking about a lot of cool video game stuff. Imran, thanks for joining me once again this week. Thanks for two for me. one. It's feeling good. Uh, where could people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ImranZOMG or on my Patreon at P-R-O-S-E-K-H-A-N-S, proscons.com. Go check it out and support the homie. Uh, and support his Patreon, patreon.com slash... How do you spell it? P-R-O-S-E-K-H-A-N-S. Boom, everybody. Boom. Love you guys. Bye.